Amen. Amen. You may be seated. That was a really weak amen. All God's people said, I just need to know that you're glad to be here at least so, or at least awake. But uh, Ryan, thank you for the Christmas songs tonight. That was wonderful. I'm looking forward to Sunday morning. We've got a bunch of them planned for Sunday morning. I love singing those songs. So looking forward to doing that. Hey, listen, before we jump in uh, to our third week of life on mission, I want to just give a word since this is like my, you know, faithful Wednesday night remnant here. I want to give you a little word about what we're doing Wednesday nights starting uh, in January, uh, Lord willing. So we are, we do plan Sunday, January 10th to go back to community groups on Sunday morning. We're just moving ahead and we understand a lot of people still aren't comfortable coming. That's fine, but we're having them. And we've got some new groups that we're really excited about. That list is going to go out, mm, not this Sunday, but net the next Sunday for the next few weeks, you'll be hearing about all the new groups that we have on Sunday morning. So all that's happening. Uh, Lord willing, we hope to start dinners back on the 13th on that Wednesday night in the tabernacle. And, um, we, uh, thing somewhere, uh, we hope to get meals back. And then Wednesday evenings, we're going to choir is going to be back. And so they'll be using this room. David Shiver is going to be leading an inductive Bible study every Wednesday night in the tabernacle after dinner. So, I mean, a walk through the Bible, a verse-by-verse expositional study, which is going to be incredible. David, uh, you heard a few weeks ago here uh, on Wednesday night. We'll do a fantastic job with that. We do have a women's group that's going to be meeting. Apart from that, we're not doing other classes, and here's the reason why. The inductive Bible study is going to be great. The other things we're doing are great. We're really asking people to consider putting a greater investment into our Next Generation Ministries on Wednesday night. We're asking everybody to pray about the possibility of working uh, in our children's ministry or in our student ministry. Uh, we really think that uh, we need to, to put our best foot forward in that area. We have been convicted recently uh, that God has given us a really incredible opportunity in the city because so many other churches are not doing weekday children's activities. Uh, God has given us a real open door to invest in hundreds of children and students on this campus every Wednesday night, and we want to invest in them. So uh, that's kind of the stuff that's happening Wednesday night. So be thinking and praying. We're also, we're changing our Sunday morning community group curriculum to be uh, more doctrinally based. And because of that, we're also doing a class, Scott and I primarily will be teaching uh, in which every Wednesday night, we're gonna be teaching the teachers who are teaching Sunday morning. So they'll hear it from us and then they'll be able to teach that on Sunday morning. So there's a lot of good stuff going on. I'm excited about it, but be thinking and praying about what God has uh, for you. Well, tonight we are in our third week on life on mission and uh, every one of these, so we've done worship community mission. Every one of these have kind of, kind of like a little bit of a funnel in that we have started with big picture, big concept things. And then we have kind of gone down and down and down until we get to like exactly what that looks like in your life at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. And so we're continuing to make that progress and mission as well. We started the first week in which David Shiver did, and we talked about the fact that worship is the goal of missions. The reason we do missions is because God desires for all people to worship him, every nation, tongue, and tribe, that all of the earth might be filled with the glory of God. That has always been God's desire. And the reason we do missions is because people are not worshiping Jesus Christ. And so we are going to spread the worship of Jesus Christ to the ends of the Earth. So uh, missions exist, as John Piper says, because worship does not. Uh, and so that is why we do missions, to spread the worship of God. This is Psalm 67. Our desire is that we would spread the joy, the worship, the gladness of the Lord Jesus Christ by letting all the nations know about who he is and how to be saved 
through his death, burial, and resurrection. We talked about Revelation 7 is really the, the grand vision of every church. That in the end, people from every nation, tongue, and tribe will be gathering. And uh, it doesn't matter if you came from a church that did choir or didn't do choir. In the end, there's going to be a choir, whether you like it or not. And you're all going to be in it. You'll all be in it. And uh, everyone will be in the choir, and we're all going to be singing, every nation, tongue, and tribe, worshiping Jesus Christ. That is the grand vision. I mean, what drives everything we do is that grand vision of God's desire to see every single person, from your neighbor uh, to the remote villages of Nepal that we're going to, every one of them in that choir worshiping Jesus Christ. That's the vision of everything we do. And um, the mission is how we go about doing that. How is it that we go about developing that choir? And what we say is we do it really one by one, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. So every time you lead somebody to Christ, you've added another member to that glorious end times choir. So, and this is what we do. We share the gospel here and around the world, one by one, individual people, so that uh, they might come and join that choir. So that's what we do. And then the second week we talk about, well, how does God accomplish that? How is it that God intends to get all of these people from every nation, tongue, and tribe uh, worshiping him? And the answer is through the church. The church is God's means by which he accomplishes his mission. There is no other plan. We really emphasized this a couple of weeks ago. If you are in the church and active and engaged in what the church is doing, a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, mission-focused church, then you are in the middle of what God is doing. Because what God is doing is always the church. That's it. And we're thankful for parachurch organizations. We believe they have a place and a role primarily uh, to get people connected to local churches because the church is where God is moving. So God's design has always been that through the ministry of the church, he continues his work. And the link between the ascended, exalted Jesus and the church, because the church just continues the work of Jesus, the link between Christ there and his body here is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the means by which we do the work that Jesus does. So that Acts 1 and 1 says the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do and teach, uh, meaning that we are continuing the same work that Jesus was doing. Now, we want to get more specific tonight, and the next week even more specific. But tonight we want to talk about what is it that, that, that the church actually does? What is the mission work of the church? What do we do in order uh, to accomplish the mission of God? And I think we could summarize that in two words. It is to declare and display. And that's in our definition of a life on mission. Life on mission is declaring and displaying the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so what is it that we do? If we're a church that's to be on mission, and by the way, let me just be clear. When I say we're a church on mission, that means you, all of us, we're the church. So what does it mean for us to be on mission? Well, two primary things, we declare and we display. And so we want to work that out a little bit tonight. What does it mean to declare and display? So I've got three points for you, and they are on the card there. If you didn't get one of those cards that have my notes on it, they're at the back, and you're welcome to get up and get one of those right now. But the first thing I want you to see is this. Jesus both declared and displayed the kingdom. He declared and displayed the gospel of the kingdom. So I'm going to go back to Acts 1.1. He says, uh, I write to you, O Theophilus, uh, about, what every, about everything Jesus continues to and he says two words, to do and teach. What do you have in the Gospels? You have a record in the Gospels, not only of what Jesus taught, 
but of what Jesus did. As a matter of fact, there's probably more in the Gospels about what Jesus did than what Jesus taught. Uh, a little frustrating for me as a pastor, a preacher, that there's not a lot of long sermons in the Gospels. Uh, there's a couple, uh, two, the uh, Sermon on the Mount and the uh, Mount Olives. There's a couple of discourse. There's a couple of good long sermons, but not a lot. Uh, most of what we get in the Gospels is what Jesus was doing. And the Acts 1 emphasizes that Jesus was doing and teaching. And that's what we see all throughout his life. I was thinking about this in terms of John 1. Listen to these words in John 1, 14 through 18. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen to this, verse 18, John 1. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. In other words, the incomprehensible became comprehensible uh, through Jesus Christ, that the God who had never been seen was now seen through Jesus. And so what we see in the ministry of Jesus is God in the flesh living among us, dwelling among us, and we do not simply have a record of what he taught, we have a record of what he did. He was both declaring and displaying the kingdom. In Mark 1.15, uh, Jesus begins his ministry and Mark says that this is the first thing he declares. He says, uh, the kingdom of God has come. So he says, now here it is, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then what you see through the rest of the gospels is Jesus, through everything he did and everything he taught, displaying the kingdom. You see, the reason the works of Jesus are significant is because all of the works of Jesus were giving us a picture of God. They were giving us a picture of the kingdom. So it's not that we focus on the red letters and then we ignore all the stuff that Jesus did. Everything that Jesus did was a little picture of the kingdom of God. I remember a few years ago studying the gospel of Luke and uh, spent a bunch of time, which I was going to do this year. You remember that? You bought the little Luke journal, which I'm never gonna use. Um, but one of the things I did is I read the book of Luke over and over and over and thought, what are the primary ministries of Jesus? And I came up with a few. I wrote them down here. Preaching, healing, deliverance, relationships, disciple making, and a big one in Luke, eating. Eating. There is a book uh, that has been written on eating your way through the gospel of Luke. Uh, this is a significant part of the ministry of Jesus. Every one of those things was a picture of the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom, there's no more sickness. In the kingdom, Satan is crushed. There's no more need for deliverance. In the kingdom, we feast with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. So all of the things Jesus were doing were little pictures of the kingdom. So everything he did was saying something to us. All of his acts were declarations of the kingdom. So this is what Jesus was doing. He was declaring and displaying the kingdom of God. I think about this also in Luke 4. I want to read this text. If you want to turn to Luke 4, I'm going to read a couple of long texts there. Uh, and by the way, if you're doing our Advent readings, which uh, I did our one this morning at the breakfast table uh, from Isaiah 61, it was this text uh, that we're going to be looking at in Luke 4. So it tells us in Luke 4, 16, that Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. 
As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unscrolled, unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So he went to his home synagogue. They said, here, why don't you read something for us? He then turned to Isaiah 61 and said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's declaring. Jesus came to declare. He came to preach. He also sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. That's displaying. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll and said, these things were written of me. But the point is this, is that Jesus did not simply come to proclaim. He, sent, he was sent to recover the sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. And people often ask, well, when you talk about the captives and the blind and the poor, is that speaking spiritually or physically? And the answer is yes. The physical poor, the spiritual poor, the physical captives, the spiritual captives, all of that was true because Jesus did not come just to bring spiritual sight. He brought physical sight. And every time he healed a blind person, it was a little picture of what it's going to be like in the kingdom. Every time he sat down and ate with a sinner, it was a little picture of what all of eternity is going to be like. And every time he cast out a demonic spirit, it's going to be a little picture of what it's going to be like when Satan is crushed and we live in freedom from the oppression of the enemy. The declaring and the displaying of Jesus was extremely significant. And look at the way in which these two, these declaring and displaying, just kind of seamlessly flowed together. Look at Luke 4 again. And I'm going to read verses 31 through 44. This is a little bit of a long text. But as I read, be thinking about the declaring and displaying and how these work together. It says this. Jesus went down to Capernaum. This is verse 31. A city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't it interesting that the demons knew who he was before his disciples did? But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. They were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports about him went throughout every place in the surrounding region. So they were astonished at his teaching. Everybody was talking about it. Then they were astonished with his works. Everybody was talking about it. He arose. He left the synagogue. He entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. They appealed to him on her behalf. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who, who, had any, uh, who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Demons came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. The people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Do you see how seamlessly this was? He taught he acted in a way that displayed the kingdom. He healed, he taught. He healed, he taught. And then when he healed so many people all night, he stayed there and touched every one of them. They begged him to stay. He said, I can't stay. I've got to go proclaim the gospel to the next city. 
this combination of declaring and displaying was significant because the displaying was also a declaration of the kingdom. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus taught was pointing us to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what that means for us is this, and this is the next point, is that we must both declare and display. So let's talk about declaring first. We must declare the gospel. Now, I think we understand this. I don't think I need to spend a ton of time on this. I would say, I think we understand this mentally. I was thinking as I was preparing this yesterday that uh, I remember there was a man in uh, my first church who used to always say, Pastor, we need to see more people baptized. Pastor, we're not seeing enough people baptized. We didn't see a baptism last week. More people baptized. But I, I just kept thinking that this man never shared the gospel and led anybody to Christ and brought him to church to get baptized. So when he came to me and complained we weren't having enough people baptized, I agreed with him, but the solution for that would be him to go share the gospel with somebody and get him in the baptistry. Like, I think what he was saying is, Pastor, you're not leading enough people to Christ. Well, if we're not having people baptized, that's all of our job. That's, that's us. That's on us. I mean, certainly on, on me, I should be having people regularly there, but all of us should. This is the way this works. And so where I think we understand this mentally, that the gospel has to be preached, for people to be saved, Romans 10, at the same time, somehow we kind of have gotten to this idea that people are going to be saved without us ever sharing the gospel. But I have found in my ministry, now this is profound, listen to this, this is really profound, that there's a direct correlation between the people that get saved and the people that hear the gospel. Do I need to say that? that was deep. There's a direct correlation between the amount of people saved and the amount of people that hear the gospel. So if we want to see people saved, we got to have people hear the gospel. And if you take the parable of the soils kind of somewhat literally, we're going to have to share the gospel four or five, six or seven times before we get somebody who's truly converted. So if we want to see 100 people baptized, we better be ready to share the gospel a few thousand times. There is a direct correlation to this, and this has to be the regular thing that we're doing. And the key text for that, I'm not going to read, but we read Romans 10, 14 through 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How can they hear? unless they have a preacher. And how can they have a preacher unless someone is sent? And so just the logical progression there is this. People get saved by the hearing of the gospel. And, and let me remind you, your responsibility in this is to plainly explain the gospel and call for a response, and then you leave the results to God. Your responsibility is not to convert someone, but our responsibility is to make sure the gospel is heard. And you're going to explain that gospel to 50 people and maybe two of them will come to Christ and you'll wonder why just those two. And it's because God got to them before you got to them and they were ready to hear the message that you gave them. And uh, you just happened to be the right person at the right time. God had prepared them all along the way. And you're probably the 20th person that shared the gospel with them, but you got them at the right moment and you're going to get to see them come to Christ. But they're not going to do that without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to be a declaring people. Now, I think the key to that for us, and, and I wanted to think about this a little bit more deeply because um, this is just an easy thing to say, we've got to be declaring the gospel. But I, I don't think that's ever going to happen in our lives until it becomes more natural, a part of our daily conversation. You know, one of the things, um, there's a, a gospel presentation called Three Circles, which we've taught here at least the last couple of years. And there's a good uh, Three Circles website. As a matter of fact, you can go and watch the Three Circles video. I think it's like three minutes to, sh to tell you how to share the gospel. But the emphasis of three circles is how to bring the gospel into everyday conversation. So the whole uh, kind of foundation of this gospel presentation is the idea of brokenness. That every conversation you have with anybody, something they say 
points to brokenness, whether it be in nature or in politics or in society or something. Brokenness comes up in every situation, in every conversation, because everything's broken. And this emphasis on three circles is find the brokenness that comes up in the conversation and use that as a means to share the gospel. Well, you know, it wasn't intended to be that way. We weren't intended to be broken. We were intended to be whole through Jesus Christ. So it's just trying to find ways to make it a part of natural conversation because this is what's complicated, isn't it? What's complicated is is finding a way to share the gospel. Uh, One of the things I was thinking about, there's a a book that was written uh, called Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. He's a church planner, uh, I believe in Seattle. But one of the things he talks about is this, and this is his whole idea of gospel fluency. He says, if we're ever gonna be faithful to share the gospel, the gospel must be our native tongue. Meaning it must be that which we just talk about all the time. And if Mark 12, 34 is right, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, that the reason the gospel doesn't come out of our mouth a lot is because it's probably not the constant thing in our heart. But his point in this book is, is if we can get to the place where we, in our own lives, see Jesus in everything. We see the gospel in everything. We're thinking about the way that the gospel affects our decisions and our child raising and the way in which we view politics and everything. We're just a Jesus consumed, a Jesus centered person. Then when we get that way, we begin to speak with more gospel fluency. I love that phrase, the gospel must be our native tongue. Because for most of us, and and I certainly understand this, the gospel is an awkward thing for us to talk about. But the truth is that's probably because we're just not thinking about it as much as we should. So what we really want to see God do is for God to to make the gospel such a reality in our hearts where we process everything through the lens of who we are as the people of God that have an overflow of our heart. We're just fluent in gospel. We see it in everything. So every situation we come, every conversation, we can see a way in which Jesus ties in with that. And the way which we declare is to more naturally communicate that. Now, there is, not only is there nothing wrong, I think confrontational evangelism with strangers is absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, I think there's a lot of places for that. We, you know, did that Peru mission trip, went door to door, uh, shared the gospel with everyone in this village. And when we left, a church was planted from our door to door evangelism. Literally, there's a church that exists now that didn't exist a year and a half ago because we went door to door and shared the gospel in Peru. So this happens, this is great. I just know for for you all, you're around a lot of lost people and as a natural part of your conversation, the gospel's just gotta come out. You you just gotta stop caring what anybody thinks. Just, you just gotta talk about Jesus really openly in every conversation. Just let Jesus come out. So we must declare like Jesus, but I, I wanna talk about as well, we must display. We must display the gospel. We have been created in the image of God to be a visible manifestation of Jesus. So I I want you to think about this for a minute. We were created to be a visible picture of God. That's why we exist. The church as the body of Christ is a visible manifestation of Christ. So how are people gonna see Jesus? He's ascended at the right hand of the Father. Right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. How is anybody gonna see Jesus? They're gonna see him through the visible manifestation in the church. This is how people see Jesus. They, they see Jesus through us. And so we must also display him. And I think about that John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus did not come and minister to us from a distance. He didn't send us a letter. He came and dwelt 
among us. He was with us. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine today, and we were talking about uh, just the uniqueness of the ministry of Jesus in terms of that God could have sent us another letter, but he didn't. He sent us himself. God himself came in the flesh. And the reason we know as much as we know about Jesus is not just because we heard him, but we saw him. We beheld, John 1, his glory. We saw the very glory of God in Jesus Christ. And the same thing is supposed to be true with us. Listen, every person we come in contact with is supposed to see just a little picture of Christ. When I was graduating from um, college, uh, I had an opportunity. I, had, uh, I was supposed to work at a, a camp called Canacuck my last um, summer before, before my senior year. And then I got an opportunity to go overseas uh, to Slovakia. And so I went overseas to Slovakia and then finished up my senior year of college. And then the missionary there wrote me and said, hey, listen, I'd like for you to come work with me over here. And so I went and spent two and a half years. But I remember praying through that decision. And the text the Lord used uh, to get me to make that decision to go was 2 Corinthians 5, 20, which it says we are ambassadors for Christ as though God is making his appeal through us. And two realities that the Lord taught me. Number one, the ambassador is someone who leaves where he is to go to another place in order to represent someone. So in order for those in Slovakia to hear the gospel, they must not only hear it declared, but they must see it displayed. So it's not enough for me to write a letter to Slovakia. I've got to go be an image bearer of Christ in that place. This is why we send missionaries, not just gospel tracts from airplanes. We send missionaries because people not only need to hear it, they need to see it. So a missionary's role is not just to speak, but to live distinctively Christian among people. That's what an ambassador does. And then it says, it says if God is making his appeal through us, how does God become appealing to people? Well, through you. That we are this walking, visible picture of Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul says it in Titus 2. Titus 2 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, listen to this, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The mark of the people of God is that they're zealous for good works. You might remember 10, 15 years ago, uh, there was this movement, not in the church, but just you know, around, uh, to do random acts of kindness. Remember this? You would see these old bumper stickers, random acts of kindness. Uh, I think most of the time when you still see those, they also have a Bernie Sanders sticker. That's, there seems to be a correlation and a, and a coexist. Those kind of seem to go together. But the truth is, is churches began to adopt that. We need to do random acts of kindness. And I remember feeling a little bit uncomfortable that, you know, the gospel isn't furthered by random acts of kindness. But at the same time, I think we, we've lost the emphasis on just doing a bunch of good stuff. <laughs> I mean, carry somebody's groceries and mow somebody's grass. And I mean, just we failed to remember that a significant part of why God has created us and called us as followers of Christ is to be zealous for good works, just doing a ton of good stuff. And not just leaving it there that people are going to get saved by seeing the good stuff. Jesus did not think it was enough just to display so if Jesus was not enough just to display, you certainly aren't, right? And neither am I. 
So there has to be declaring, but let's not forget the significance of just being a really good neighbor and doing some really kind things and be looking for opportunities all over just to bless the people we come in contact with. I want to give you one more thought from that book, Gospel Fluency. I thought a lot about it this week, but uh, Jeff Vanderstelt talks about this idea of gospel metaphors. I think this is going to be helpful. I'm going to spend a few minutes on this and then we'll um, have some time for questions. But he talks about that, that a metaphor is really a picture of something that may be more difficult to explain. So a picture is given in order to explain it. And he says, one of the great ways for us to think about how we can display the gospel is to think in terms of gospel metaphors. So he says, think about names of Jesus or things that Jesus did or ways that Jesus acted. And so I'm just gonna ask you right now, give me some either names of Jesus or things that Jesus was known for. Uh, give me some of those, any of those. We read some in our Advent reading this week. Wonderful counselor, very good. Savior. Prince of Peace, Good Shepherd, Mighty God, King, Father, Prince of Peace. Any others you can think of? Friend, I was going to say that. Friend of sinners. Is it just a friend? It's very good. Redeemer, Provider, Bread of Life. I think of the word Advocate. He advocated for us. So, so here's what he says about gospel metaphors. Take those words we just used. Let's take friend of sinners. Find a way that you can display that specific character of Jesus. So instead of just saying, well, I need to be more like Jesus. Well, if Jesus was a friend of sinners this week, how can you be a metaphor, a gospel metaphor of a friend of sinners? How can you go this week be a friend of sinners? If Jesus is a wonderful counselor and we're to be a gospel metaphor, what can you do this week to give someone good counsel? Who is it that you know in the workplace or in the neighborhood whose family is dissolving, everything's a mess? What if you stepped into their life and became a gospel metaphor by giving them good counsel? So how are they ever gonna know that Jesus is a wonderful counselor if you give them counsel? So think about Jesus as a provider. I think we said provider over here. Well, what if you went in and you were a gospel metaphor by finding a need and just taking care of it? I mean, if, if Jesus is an everlasting father, well, what if you found a kid on a Wednesday night in this building who needs a father figure, which there's some here in this building, and you became a father and you know what? You become a gospel metaphor. And I loved when I read that because it just reminded me that there's always this vague idea of I need to be more like Jesus. Well, do something specific. Be a friend, be an advocate, be a provider. Think of the way in which your life can be a, a metaphor, a picture of something specific about Jesus. So as you're reading the Bible and you're seeing something about Jesus, particularly in these Advent readings, we're seeing all these things. Every day, we're seeing something about Jesus why don't you find a way to find one thing about Jesus that's specific and say, I want to be that to somebody this week. I'll close with this. You know, there are uh, five great commission texts um, in the Bible. You've got Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Mark 16, 15, Luke 24, uh, 44, and following John 20, 21, and Acts 1, 8. And they're all different. And they all uh, kind of are different in line with, with that specific book. But I love John 20, 21. It's the simplest. 
It just says this. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. In other words, what I did is I declared and displayed the gospel. I just, I loved on people. I was a friend of sinners. I was a helper. I was a provider. I was an advocate. I was a counselor. And so in the same way that Jesus, that the Father sent me, I'm sending you in that same way to declare and display the gospel. So the enemy has a real way of making the mission incredibly complicated. When John just says, the Father sent me and I send you in the same way. So just go live with gospel fluency, be a gospel metaphor, be a picture of the gospel in the way in which you live and the way in which you talk. And I think if we would just think about it more in terms of what can I do today to picture the gospel, we might be a lot more effective than thinking what can we do to reach the masses. Just be a gospel metaphor tomorrow in the name of Jesus. Let me pray for us. And if you got any questions, you can text and we'll try to answer some.